Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. We also dive deep into the tools and data you need to ensure a winning influencer marketing campaign. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. I'm your host Pratik Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo. Our guest today is Oliver Lewis, the CEO, founder and group managing director at The Fifth Group. The Fifth is an award-winning creative agency putting influential talent at the heart of their brand's clients advertising. The agency was founded on a mutual understanding of what it means to have real influence and how to wield that power authentically and responsibly. So let's get started. First things first for you, what got you into influencer marketing? I became utterly obsessed with the disruption, frankly. I mean, I mean it was it was almost impossible to ignore. I, I was sat in my role as a director of digital strategy at News UK, which is News Corp, the UK's arm of News Corp. And it was impossible to ignore just the swathe of attention. So the disruption to audience to engagement, frankly, you know whether we liked it or not at the time, uh, the, the trust swing that was moving from mainstream into into social and specifically into people of influence and specifically into community leaders as opposed to celebrities. And I think that it was clear that it was having a greater impact over society, over culture, and eventually that would then tip into entertainment and, of course, advertising. And it's exactly playing out that way. And, and I think today we're called the fifth, right? And, and that's after the five estates of the realm. And, and we consider the fifth estate, i.e. the non-mainstream journalists, bloggers, social activists, social influencers, frankly, to be the most influential realm today in society. And it's bearing out that way. And I think influence marketing has, although already incredibly in its infancy, even rel- you know, relative to the wider advertising landscape, even relative to digital advertising, it's still in its infancy, but it's come an incredible way in the, in the time that we launched uh, in 2019. And I think it's power to be authentic, creative, to galvanize communities and niche communities at that at large is uh, incredibly powerful. And that's why I really I almost had to get into the space. It was a, an essential part of the evolution of my interest in digital advertising but i think broadly speaking uh, culture at large and i think there was one real aspect of it which really just hit the nail on the coffin for me and was kind of i have to do this which is that it was generally conceived to be unregulated the wild wild west there was trust issues and that for me just created a huge opportunity which was you know there's a role here to play it's still maturing and there's a role to be a trusted uh, professional partner in this space and that was the tipping point for me. You did mention that you had some background in digital advertising, digital marketing, and you know that sort of helped you understand the influencer marketing space better as well. Do you think if you are a digital marketer today, it is imperative for you to start investing some time and learn about influencer marketing? Absolutely essential. You know, I think that actually, I think well, let's roll forward. I think even within the next four years, influencer marketing will be the first line on a digital advertising or digital marketing plan maybe sooner but let's be really realistic between four to five years and therefore yeah it's actually essential that you're already understanding this space because it's increasingly where it's where the the engagement it's where the audience and ultimately it's where the creativity is 
in this. Digital ads are already starting to become less effective. And increasingly, even your paid social marketing is becoming less effective. So you absolutely, whether you are realize or not right now, personification, talent-led, creative, and or even on your own channels is going to become an essential part of your mix. Yeah, makes sense. And, and I think, you know, not only is paid ads becoming less effective, it's also ending up being a lot more expensive. It's consistently been more expensive over the last three to four years. And it looks like that trend is only going to keep going up. And, you know, even buyers or consumers are getting more conscious about or can differentiate at least what's an ad uh, or PR play brand promotion versus, you know, in yes, influencer marketing is also a form of an ad or a promotion, but, uh, you know, people trust their influencers and why they follow somebody and trust their judgment and, you know, want to make a, a purchase decision accordingly. And that brings us to an important element where you talk about also trust, transparency, and professionalism being the core aspects of business for you at the fifth. How do you make sure you enforce this or you're able to apply this day in, day out? I think that and transparency has to work throughout the supply chain truly to work, right? So I think it starts with having a really professional, open and transparent relationship with the creators. And I think that's happening organically. I think there is an understanding that not only are creators now running, you know, the, the increase in which it's becoming a professional single source of their income means that they have to operate more professionally. And there's an increase, obviously, in managed talent. But what that means being really open and transparent around your fee structure, being open around your data for too long, perhaps in this space, we've been relying on measurement to being a single snapshot in time as opposed to being real-time analytic around data and reporting. And if, if brands are going to continue to invest as we expect them to, then reporting and measurement will be increasingly the reason that it grows. And being able to measure ROI is, is, is linked to having access to real-time data. Now, that means that there's a trust issue and a transparency issue there because it relies on the creators authenticating and linking their accounts into technology platforms. So there's the first point, right? If you if you can't be transparent with your own data, you know, from a creative perspective, that does create a problem down the train. I think then then it's incumbent on agencies working for their clients to be fully transparent around fees and around access to that data. And fees, let's start there because there's a huge there has been some nefarious practices around hiding trading margins, around talent fees, around not paying appropriately and being fair. So I think transparency in both directions. You're paying fairly across your creator landscape and you're being transparent around how those fees are constructed. And ultimately, you're being transparent with your client. If your service is valued to you and to your clients, then you can be very transparent with the way in which your fees are made up. You don't need to take a margin across talent fees. So that, that's the key for us. And it led us to a space where a lot of like-minded agencies forged together to form, for example, the Influence Marketing Trade Body, which has been a really important landmark in the space where we can have a code of ethics, code of standards that we all subscribe to, and we and we can move forward. As growth comes into our space, brands are going to need to see that level of transparency and trust coming back. So I think it's critically important. You know, we I think we were one of the first really to take that leap and be very open about it, be very outwardly facing in our communications that we were going to do things transparently and our fees are here and this is how we pay creators. So I think it's essential. I think it will be essential if you're going to work with blue chip organizations across multiple lines of their business and their market, they want to know what you're paying the creators and they want to be able to benchmark specifically you take a, a multi-line business like Disney, Walt Disney, for example, that has retail and parks and streaming platforms. Well, ultimately, the you know, influencer marketing will operate to some extent in silos in different marketing departments. 
they need to be able to understand how to benchmark talent within their own business, right? And so that's incumbent on us. There was a lot of things in there and there are about three things that I want to dive deeper into. Sure. First, you talked a little bit about data transparency, right? Do you think it's a challenge in the influencer marketing space for agencies as well as brands to get data that they can trust as well as make sure is authentic? For sure, it is. And because it's entirely reliant on having, as I said, authenticated linked data at the source. You know, access to the platform's APIs is becoming more widely accepted, although we went through a sort of curbing where a huge number of platforms lost access. But as a result of platforms losing access to potentially to graph APIs and having access to that data, there was a huge amount of modeling that happened upon the top of it. That modeling, I mean, actually, the disparity between five or six different data platforms over a single creator's data, it can be pretty vast. Like we're talking about swings of between 25 to 30%. And that's that's not okay, realistically, when you're making media decisions and creative decisions and pricing decisions based on data that's inaccurate. So I think in a planning stages, it's really challenged. When it comes to execution, it's much easier because ultimately there is a relationship and a transaction occurring and there's therefore a willingness to activate with the real data and access to that platform. So I think it's the planning where there's an issue and when decisions are being made, there's perhaps an issue. But I would also suggest we've come a long way. And actually, there are some incredible partners in this space that have a good grip on running their platforms and access to the data responsibly and uh, are well authenticated and backed by the platforms to do so. So it's definitely improved, but it will be a challenge. And I think it continues to be a challenge in a measurement place in post-campaign. And that's got to be one of the key areas of focus for every agency in this space right now. Is, is, you know, how can we measure it effectively in order to grow investment because those two are intrinsically linked? Let's talk a little bit more about the platform API part, right? And there are hundreds of different platforms. Of course, there are the big ones like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, et cetera, right? But there are many others that are more niche, let's say Substack, uh, OnlyFans for that matter, you know, so many others where creators and influencers are active, making money. A lot of these platforms actually don't even have open APIs. Very few of them actually provide a platform-owned API or platform-maintained API. And I'm going to make a small shameless plug here. And that's the problem we are trying to solve with Philo, because what we are trying to do is take away that pain from brands and agencies and we take on that pain to manage all these hundreds of APIs so that at the user end, which is in our case, brands and agencies, they just have to deal with one API. But like you said, it's been a pain to manage these APIs, right? Like as a agency owner or somebody who's working closely with brands, how are you trying to navigate this ever-changing landscape? Like just a few days ago, Twitter you know, announced that they're going to bring a pricing model to their APIs and that may or may not work for a lot of people, right? And, you know, I think a large part also is as platforms, do you think platforms are actually losing out as influencer marketing grows because it's taking away money from their ad revenue and it's putting money into the hands of creators, right? Do you think that's what concerns them? Ultimately, our, our philosophy on this is to be tech agnostic. I think we made a decision relatively early that we weren't going to build necessarily proprietary tech into this space for exactly that reason. But I think keeping up with the pace of change, uh, although technology, you know, we do have technology in the business, but having a one in-house proprietary solution is going to lose pace and going to be incredibly expensive to keep pace with from our perspective. And, you know, we wanted to focus on 
our priority, which is around creative and strategy and relationships and human intelligence, because that's really where we add a huge amount of value. So for us, it's about finding the right partners. And it's about having the right tech stack and constantly continuously auditing those partners, ensure that we have the best providers, that we give the best bespoke solutions to our clients at any one time. You know, there are plenty of ways in which you can ingest data and create white labeled solutions for your clients from in-house. So that's our role. That's our, our philosophy on it. Others will disagree, I think. But, you know, it's really refreshing that there are a lot of new platforms coming into the space and there are a lot of people trying to solve this because the economy is growing. So I think that as the overall creative economy and as over-influenced marketing as a share of digital revenue grows, obviously, as we saw in programmatic, the technology is going to boom and almost there'll be an oversupply of technology partners. So really, it's I'd rather put more effort into auditing, uh, verifying who are the best partners for us and our clients and ensuring that we partner with the best. That's how we approach it. And so we welcome new entrants into the market and we welcome new ideas because, frankly, we just need to get the best results. Makes sense. And what do you think about the whole story angle from the platform side? Do you think they worry that, you know, all this is taking money away from their hands? Naturally, they will um, because there's a, a huge amount of business happening on their land that they don't have a cut of. I think it benefits them to have a healthy, burgeoning, and you know, creator economy existing within their environments and their platforms. And they do a huge amount. They talk a good game around supporting creators, and in many cases, they do. And there are monetization tools, and there is support for creators there. But naturally, they're going to want more revenue to flow through the platforms and through their paid solutions. But look, I think you know what goes in their favor right now is that what's happening in this space, particularly as we talk about paid social becoming potentially less effective that the true game changer within a paid social environment is the creative itself it always has been ad creative is incredibly important well who makes the best ad creative in 2023 and beyond this it's influencers there's no shadow of a doubt on that and therefore the convergence of paid marketing and paid social in particular and influencer and i dare say across a lot of digital channels including digital out of home you're going to see that convergence i mean if paid social is not a part of your influencer marketing mix in every single campaign then i don't frankly know how you're achieving the levels of reach and engagement that you're setting out for your client i think it's probably almost essential at this point so there is a role in the platforms are getting a slice of this and increasingly they will get a larger slice. Makes sense. In your last response, you were talking about IMTV as well, the influencer marketing trade body. I spoke recently with uh, Scott, who is the director general there. You are a board member as well. What is your role with IMTV? What's your vision? How is IMTV helping this industry? Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's so important. It's a real sign of its growing maturity that we now have a trade body that's being recognized by CAP, by AASA. It's being recognized by the government select committees as a trusted voice that is truly now represented. And I think at last count, Scott will probably correct me on his podcast of 13 members at this point, 13, 14, and growing very fast. But it's a, it's more than that. It's actually the fact that we have WPP, Whaler, Takumi, ourselves, Ben, to name a few, that you know are the leaders in this space and frankly, some of the biggest. So it's been very, very important for us to unify our voice. You know, like for example, the ASA and CMA combined regulations in the UK that were released over in the last week or so. Okay, I think they go potentially too far. But individually, as individual voices trying to lobby any element of sense or change at any regulation as it comes thick and fast into this space is going to be meaningless. You know, we have to be a combined and unified voice. We have to trust each other. Investment will pour in and all ships rise. 
if we can stick together around this and we can start to get some conformity. The issue with the space at times is that every one of us is entirely focused on our own USPs and driving our own competitive advantage, right? And therefore, we're using our own language and we're using our own standards. And we're all trying to get one up on each other around the hottest issues that we might be able to answer because that's, of course, important in order to win clients or retain clients. But realistically, that's probably the wrong move. You know, we, what we should be doing is building a wealth of trust, having a much better standardized view on the language and on standards. And therefore, clients generally and more broadly will enter into this space and they all spend more money. So I think that's what we've all come around the table and understand to be important. I hope that you know we attract more members and that we can continue to have a bigger voice because ultimately, nobody else realistically, I mean, ISBA's doing a great job, for example, at, at creating standards in the UK, which is a trade body for brands. But realistically, there hasn't been a reputable and unified voice for influence marketing in the UK until now. And uh, so I think it's a really great step and Scott's doing a brilliant job and we'll continue to support it. Yeah, I think, you know, we all win together. I think that's something that we believe in as well. And for the entire creator economy to grow, it's necessary that everybody works together. And sure. yeah, I mean, end of the day, you're running a business, you want to find your USPs, you want to talk about it. But if the size of the pie increases, everybody wins, right? And that includes businesses like ours and yours and it includes creators also and brands also right everybody needs to win in the equation for this entire segment to grow you know in a more sustainable format absolutely i preach that from the rooftops <laughs> yeah talking about hot issues yeah. give me one controversial hot take on influencer marketing that you believe in but maybe others don't it is my hot take and view that by, let's say, 2028, a TikTok influence will run as an independent for the presidency of the United States. I think such is the influence of the fifth estate. And particularly, I think that could even accelerate if TikTok gets banned in the next few months. In marketing terms, I think I said it earlier, you know, I think the influence of marketing becomes the dominant line in your digital marketing plan within the next four years. And I think it will only continue to grow. Do you think TikTok would get banned in the US? I honestly flip-flop on this. I mean, I, I've watched congressional hearing with my jaw on the floor and realistically, without going too much into why, I felt it pretty disturbing. But I think it's a possibility, yeah. I went from absolutely no way, this is political grandstanding, to this is actually possible now. I mean, particularly if you live in TikTok and the algorithm then therefore feeds you an incredible amount of this content. There is a mini revolution occurring in TikTok around this issue. And you don't necessarily want to arm 150 million Americans. So I'm watching with real interest for a couple of reasons. One, because um, YouTube shorts as a client of ours. But I think specifically, it's going to end somewhere. And maybe it just pivots them back into broader legislation around the platforms and data usage and privacy, which is where it should be in the first place. I think that's where it might go to. I might be completely wrong, but I feel like TikTok is too big to fail now. I mean, there is no such thing, to be honest, but you know, 150 million users suddenly losing access to this platform, it's going to cause a lot of other challenges, which, you know, Congress may or may not want to get into. Of course, it might bring in better privacy, better data regulation, all of which is in general good for the ecosystem. But I have a feeling they'll not get banned, but I am originally from India and TikTok is banned in India. So... There is no reason why it couldn't get banned. India is also a very large user base. The thing is that the congressmen in, in the United States understand better than anything is how to stay in office. And, you know, if there is a groundswell 
of resistance within their districts, then they are going to change their mind. And I suppose it really just never been a platform like TikTok in order to galvanize communities and give people a voice. So this is just going to be fascinating because if they do go down the route of banning this, you're going to see something I don't think we've seen in America before. And I really do believe that and not to suggest it's going to become dangerous. I just think this is going to really piss people off and I'm going to be fascinated to watch it. I really hope it doesn't get banned, but I think, and I may, maybe I lean on your side. I think they'll grandstand to a level where they'll get some element of privacy control, but hopefully it doesn't get banned. Going back to your hot take, I think it's a very interesting hot take. You said that you predict a TikTok influencer could be a presidential candidate for the US in the next five years, right? You also mentioned that if TikTok gets banned, there might be all the more reason for something like this happening. Why do you think that? Like I said, I think as a platform and as a community and the way that the algorithm works, if there was a direction and a movement towards a particular goal, I don't think any platform has been able to achieve what TikTok can achieve in order to create a groundswell. I guess it will come down to the idea of how fast you could fund and back the right candidate. But I think given time and <laughs> given enough impetus and motivation, I think it's absolutely possible. I think broadly, you know, you would have to move a huge number of people to movement. But I just think this is such an emotive subject. TikTok is not just about dance routines and, you know, and key trends and entertainment. It's become a lifeblood for people's businesses, but it's also become a lifeblood as a mental health support, as a community, you know, that people are learning. They are finding a voice for the first time. It's an incredibly emotive subject, this. And I just think this might be one step too far. I'm not sure they understand what they're biting off here. Maybe I'm being sensationalist, but you know, I do believe, I do think it will start something. That makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about the fifth, right? Uh, you started it about four years ago. What was the idea behind it? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, look, the idea behind it, as I said, I think was disruption. I was fascinated by the space. I felt that... At the time, it could very quickly have led into a media play. And I think there was a sort of crossroads happening with influencer marketing, which was that it could very easily become quite commoditized. We could end up in a race to the bottom towards a distribution of media channel, or it could go the other way. It could become the creative medium that we now see it as today. And it's not to suggest that both don't exist and don't both have a role. But for me, that was the exciting part. It could become the most creative and liberating aspect of advertising and this kind of I suppose, dissemination of in a way that social media has democratization rather of of creative and of audiences that's really exciting but i think broadly it was just be the most creative be the most i know it sounds a bit cliche but be the most professional and those two things combined have been really successful for us and we stick true to that mantra Awesome. And, you know, that would have been my next question, right? What sets yeah. you apart? Because you've seen some incredible growth in the last four years. You're, what, about a 60-70% team now? Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that the transparency professionalism part along with, you know, your creative expertise is what is helping you win? Yeah, the strategy and creative, number one, I think ultimately offer the best service. This is a service business, not a sales organization. I think that, again, that's quite an important distinction because you can be very sales-driven, very project-driven and miss the idea that this is about building for the future. So offer the best service. And the other part of it for us was just only work with premium brands. That sounds easy to achieve and it hasn't been easy to achieve, but it's actually been quite important for us. And I think it was the right thing to do. You know, we, there's there's a massive role to play in challenger brands, startups, and clearly the creator economy and social in general is incredibly important to building audience and building business. But it was not necessarily 
the high scaled game or service offering that we wanted to move into. So we were very clear about that. And that's allowed us to move very quickly into the US and just because of the types of clients and the transference. Awesome. And talking about some of your clients, right? These brands, how do you go about helping them identify the right influencers for their campaigns? And, you know, how do you make sure that there is a good brand fit as well with the influencers? We have a, we call it an art and science approach. You know, I've always believed in this space from day one that this is a human driven, human intelligence marketplace and a service offering rather. So technology will be incredibly important. And that's the science part of it. But the first and foremost here is to, is to approach it with editorial rigor. We have a team that absolutely live and breathe social. They're on top of trends. So we arm everybody in the team. You know, We have a very diverse team with different backgrounds and different experiences and different tastes. That's been really important too. So the art part of this is to follow very much an editorial research, journalistic integrity approach to understanding the types of talent that are right for the creative strategy. And I think that's also important here. You start with creative, don't start with talent. Start with creative, start with strategy, understand exactly what you're trying to achieve and how you want to tell this story. And then you find the right storytellers that ultimately are going to fit that personality. We have nine faces of influence. One of the key for us was to move the space away from reach-based terminology and try and move away from followers being anything that defines whether you should or shouldn't work with an influencer, even more so today when you apply paid. And so therefore, you know, we don't talk about macro, micro, nano, celebrity talent. We talk about them based on their talents, their format and their tone. You know, so I think that's been a big play for us. Uh, in order to reframe what influence really looks like. And when you look at it like that, then really you're looking for the right storyteller, the right creator in the right space to be able to talk to this creative strategy. When it comes to understanding brand fit, again, again, it's editorial research, but you can then start to look where technology plays a bigger part. How are their audiences engaged? Um, Understanding where their audiences are, understanding their passions, understanding what content and what tone the creators are using. And to do that, you can then do that at scale using technology and you can really analyze their content and their trends. It's a mix of both. And then beyond that, authenticating the data, critically important again to really understand what their actual, you know, reach will play a part, right? And it certainly plays a part in understanding your objectives and forecasting results. But you can't take followers as a reach metric. We know that. True reach of a follower is entirely dependent on the number of their audience that are listening and are engaged on a daily and weekly basis. So only really data and technology will get you to that answer. Yeah, so you mentioned something very interesting, right? So it's not entirely about follower count. It's a lot about engagement and who's really listening. And that's giving rise to these high ROI micro and nano influencers as well, who don't have a large following, but they drive much higher ROI than a lot of influencers who have large following. Do you think that's a trend also that will continue to grow? Yeah, I think it will. And naturally, of course, it will be cyclical. I mean, ultimately for us, I said, yeah, you're right. Micro influencers, I don't like the term necessarily, but we'd prefer, you know, community leaders or niche experts or or tastemakers, specialists within their field of expertise or their specific interest or talent, are incredibly important to that community. Of course, it means that if you want to affect reach and you want to affect the community at large, then you have to work with more talent. But I think that is, is a growing trend and technology will arm this at scale. But I think it's really important for a number of reasons that that's part of it, because I don't think we've got past the point where you can activate single 
creators or single talent within a singular channel across a singular ad creative because it's not going to reach diverse audiences and backgrounds. If you're going to be authentic and you're going to be representative of the audience and the community you're trying to reach, then you have to work with a lot of talent across a range of diverse backgrounds. We know that's a prerequisite for our clients. It's a prerequisite in influence marketing in 2023. So yeah, it plays to both those strengths, right? You get a real depth of voice and diverse backgrounds as well as having uh, incredible engagement. Yeah, that makes sense. And we talked a little bit about the brand influencer fit. Do you think there is an equal importance on a brand platform fit? And what I mean by that is, do you come across brands who tell you that, hey, I know our audience is on TikTok, but that's not our brand style. And I'd rather just work on Instagram or YouTube shorts. Is there something called a brand platform fit or should brands try to break away from this mindset? No, we try and break that mindset all the time. I think ultimately, if you look at the digital ecosystem and then specifically the social media ecosystem, it's incredibly fragmented. We are now spending more time, more thinly across a number of different environments and apps. I don't think there is such a thing as a brand particular fit to one platform naturally now and in fact i mean at the fifth we now think of social more generally split into two different camps right you have big social and small social big social platforms like meta instagram you know tiktok youtube are largely now entertainment and big social platforms they're less about community they're about having a singular voice broadcasting to multiple audiences they're about entertainment they're generally format agnostic you know, so we've got to a point now where a single creative, you know, can run across multiple platforms. So why stick to one platform, particularly as you can reach, you know, different audiences. So if those big social platforms look, feel and act in a similar way, there's absolute necessity to run across where it becomes more interesting or where you have to think more specifically about the strategy is when you want to look at small socials. So the emergence of discord and community driven platforms where realistically, that is an entirely different view on how you can enter those communities authentically and gently and softly but they're incredibly powerful and and we know that that's going to be realistically you know small social platforms community driven platforms like that are really what old social media used to be about talking with your friends communicating one-to-one that doesn't exist in big social anymore so i think my final point of this is just that you know it's got to be campaign and strategy driven and not platform driven talking about campaign and strategy, if you are a brand manager, do you think of influencer marketing as a short-lived campaign style format? Or is there something you can do on the influencer marketing side that will also be impactful, but at the same time has a longer shelf life? Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's a few things here. The most important thing around influencer marketing, I think coming into this year, and we'll see this increase in the next 12 months, is having longer, more established relationships with the creators that fit your brand and tone. You know, we are absolutely moving to the era of, or I like to think of it as going from projects to programs. You know, we are going from short bursts where we're looking for relatively results and performance-driven ROI to something that is more about building brands, building trust, and having more longer-term ambassadorialships around your brands. And I think that's where influence marketing will head. And I think that's an exciting place to be. That's where you'll see much longer term planning and it will be less reactive and it will be about building brands. And we've come a long way, I think, in terms of understanding how to measure the impact of influence marketing to make that possible. You know, you talked about it yourself around the role of technology in playing in that. And I think we're consistently looking to add new brand measurement analytics partners in particular to our stack so that we can understand the long-term value of it. We now need to start thinking about how econometric modeling starts playing a bigger part in understanding that value. But that doesn't happen in short bursts. It doesn't happen in projects. And that's where influencer marketing was and for it to mature. 
has to become into a longer brand play. And that will ultimately very quickly collapse to a performance-driven funnel because we know that it will drive sales and drive great results. But I think we need to start by building brand and sentiment. And we can only really do that if you have familiarity around the strategy and the creative and the talent. So I think that's an exciting evolution. Awesome. Talking about, you know, evolution, where do you think influencer marketing is headed over the next few years? I mean, of course, it's going to mature more as an industry, but what are some signals that you are seeing? The biggest signal for us, I think, is the growth of social search and the role that influencer marketing will play in it. When it comes to discovering brands or products now, there's clearly a shift and we can see it in the platforms. We looked at some data at the fifth earlier this week, but the growth of search for brand discovery more generally is about four to five percent. The growth of search uh, in influencer is around 73%. And so we are at a point now where it's predicted by 2029, influencer will surpass search as a channel for which people discover brands and products. Now, it may or may not come to fruition, but ultimately we know that the platform's putting a huge amount of emphasis on that right now. Maybe Google should be mildly concerned about it. And we've seen it in TikTok, right? Yeah. It's an incredible search platform. So I think that's really, you know, if search continues to grow on social, what I mean is that influencers play an absolutely critical part in that. And TikTok is a great example because even I've noticed that I've spoken to a lot of people over the last year, year and a half, who've told me explicitly that when they want to look for a product or a brand, they've gone ahead and opened up TikTok and started searching there and haven't done Google searches for a long time. And I was blown away by that insight that, you know, TikTok is becoming a big product search platform as well. It's remarkable. And but for generations, for Gen Z and now below, there is no Google. Right now it's in TikTok. And that, but it will spread as Meta continues to take that trend off. Nice. Have you come across any influencer marketing campaign recently that you've been very impressed with? Maybe you've done it for one of your clients, but something that you've been pretty impressed with? I think the value of influencers passes beyond, you know, consumer products, right? And I think that's where I'm always super impressed. And increasingly, I think you're seeing the growth within charities and cause-led central government initiatives where the role that influencers can play in generally conveying a message is far more effective than mainstream media. That's where I think it's really really interesting and why my hot take was where it was. Because I think the role that you play, and we see it across mass government initiatives, whether that's COVID or whether that's the presidential race in the US. So, so I think the role that they can play in conveying messages and building trust, and trust being the key word here, is surpassing the role that mainstream media has, particularly, I mean, I don't know, you tell me, but particularly in the US, the relatively fragmented right and left mainstream media landscape, right? There's no voice that represents a huge percentage of the population. Whereas I think you do find that particularly um, within influencers or creators or, or and particularly on social. So I think there's that. But I also, in terms of campaigns, I would just lean back to a few, to brands that are looking at this as part of an ongoing program I always admire. You know, you can tell when there's frequency of talent and when this is not about fast, sharp results, this is about building advocacy. I think that a client of ours, Disney, is looking in that space now, is looking to really build uh, pools of talent around their products. And I think that's going to work really well. Awesome. We went back to your hot take again. And one of the questions that I like to ask all my guests is, uh, you know, if you were to take out 
an influencer to lunch, who would that person be? I'm guessing this person should be your next presidential <laughs> candidate. <laughs> I am not, not going to try and name who a presidential <laughs> candidate should be. I honestly, I flip-flop on the, again on this, but I tell you, I would absolutely love to meet would be Mr. Beast. I feel that as somebody that has truly understood the role influencer can play in creative and production and its emergence into retail i mean the fact that you know what he's achieved with his commerce brands and beast burger in, in particular is quite remarkable really and we talk a lot about the growth we have a talent management company in the fifth talent which i haven't touched on and we're always talking to our creators around opportunities to create brands of course that's the natural evolution of this space you want to move away from just running ads and brand ambassadorships and you want to be a brand yourself influencer is just a new entrepreneur and ultimately they have the opportunity and as mr beast proves the opportunity realistic to be as powerful as any of the biggest brands in the world and we're seeing it it's quite incredible i'd love to pick his brain over a burger yeah i mean i think he keeps coming up as one of the top people people would want to you know go meet and spend some time with and <laughs> there we go i'm being yeah. bloody unoriginal but i mean, <laughs> It's impossible to ignore. It's exactly. impossible to ignore just how many lines of business he's created and managed to open up. His strategy and the order with which this has happened. I get, you know, it's surrounded by creators every single day, and I'm just incredibly inspired by, like I said, the, the entrepreneurial spirit and the ideas, and to be able to create your own business in this space is fantastic, and it will continue to grow. Yeah, and uh, just yesterday I was watching a video where somebody had put in an offer to buy Mr. Beast's brand for about $2 billion. He declined the offer and his estimate was anywhere between 20 to $40 billion for himself. And somebody was like, okay, how do you even justify that number? And I was watching this video and they compared Mr. Beast with an ad slot at the Super Bowl commercial and tried to make an assessment. And if you're spending some amount of money at the Super Bowl commercial and how many eyeballs do you get versus how many eyeballs do you get with Mr. Beast? And if you do the math, 20 to $40 billion is a pretty fair ask for Mr. Beast. Well, we are it's roughly 220 million subs, I think, last count. Yeah. But I think what's actually really impressive about that is that he very quickly cottoned on to the idea of multi-language and uh, opening himself up in the same as media organizations have been doing for decades. But this is it. The evolution of one person's own media empire is quite remarkable. Cool. Last thing uh, for us to talk about, if you were to give one piece of advice to a brand that is starting to think about getting into influencer marketing, what would it be? Don't look for short-term gains. Think about long-term strategy and don't take this lightly. I mean, depending on who the brand is, I know budget will always become a consideration, but I think if you're looking at influencer marketing, think of it as more broadly as your social first strategy and try and combine those two, right? Influencer marketing doesn't operate in a silo. Ultimately, it is a social first discipline. You know, our position on this is to invert your entire strategic thinking and start with social first and think about how that can impact other channels and other mediums, including your TV creative. So actually, don't think of this as a test or as a silo or something that might work to deliver some sales. Think of it actually as the, the primary channel for your overriding digital marketing in particular and potentially even beyond your strategy. And my last bit, work with an agency. <laughs> that is true, right? Because especially if you're a brand just starting out, I think it can be very nerve-wracking to actually go discover the right influencers, find the right fit, manage the entire process. And that's where agencies can help you get started sure. soon, right? Great. Uh, awesome. I think that's both great pieces of advice. 
Ali, thank you so much for joining us. I had an absolute blast talking to you. I think there's <laughs> lots of very interesting knowledge bits in this conversation and I'm pretty sure it'll be helpful for a lot of our listeners as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Really a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for the time and um, hope we can chat again soon. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get phyllo.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.